the 39th Psalm. We've been talking about the law of confession and how strong that law is and how important it is to know about it and to live by it. We've treated it lightly. We've treated it as kind of like a buffet that's a dessert thing. It's the broccoli or, in my case, the Brussels sprouts. Whew. Who eats those nasty things? I just can hardly imagine. Amen. We've kind of treated it like an option, but then we find out that it's not an option. It is truly in us. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, he talked about whosoever shall say shall have whatever they say. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So whosoever shall say shall have whatsoever he says the law. It's our life. And then we found in Proverbs chapter 18 where it says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Over and over we see that this law is repeated in different forms and stated in different venues about how God really is serious about what we say. And just like in our giving, the commonality, the routineness of words makes us not attach great value to that. If it was something that with great strain and great effort and great cost, we entered into it, we would say, well, that's the way you get that. Why, you have to do this, and it's a hard thing, and it's real difficult, and not very many can do it, but those that can, they get great rewards. We would say, woo, that's great, but just being able to speak words? Why, I know some people that they can't hardly breathe for talking. They just talk all the time. Well, what's special about that? What makes your life about words? Well, it's true. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so the life we have and the death that we experience are because we choose our words. We said that we wanted to decide what we wanted in 2007, and we was going to point our tongue in that direction. We're going to just set our course and not just say, you know, que sera, sera, what will be, will be. We're going to set our course with our mouth, and that's what's going to be in our path. And we're going to cut some things out of our path. You know, family diseases and financial things. Well, in Psalm 39, let's start right here. In verse 1, the psalmist says, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. While the wicked is before me. Who is the wicked? Well, looking at that, you have to know that Satan has a plan. He knows that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So he can set traps for people. He can get you and I to say things, and his job is over. How many of y'all know he doesn't have to work on some people? They got a potty mouth that's concerning their life. They are seeing and saying. They see the curse, and then they say the curse, and then they have the curse, and then they see the curse, and then they say the curse, and then they have the curse. Their life just goes in a perpetual thing. They say what they see, and then they see what they have, and then they have what they say. Something like that. Hallelujah. But we're having to look into the Word of God like a mirror. We're having to look into the Word, and we're having to see by faith. We're having to call things that be not things that we're not literally seeing, and say them. Break that cycle of the curse. Say what the Word says about us, not say what we're actually physically experiencing, what's actually seemingly happening to us. I feel bad. Financially, it's bad. Everything's bad, but not giving our words to that, but saying I'm rich, saying I'm healed, saying all is well. Breaking that cycle so that we could set the course on a higher plane. And that's what faith is all about. Any dummy can just see what they have and say what they saw. Amen? 
So he says here, while the wicked is before me. So the devil, the demons that are in the earth, they're trying to set up people to have a bad experience of some kind so that they'll see that, experience that, and speak that. And that's a big part of his job. His job is really not as much as we thought where he actually brings destruction to people. You know, there's a lot involved in bringing destruction to people, to actually setting things up and turning things and causing things to come in your path. But there's not much into setting something up in front of people so that they'll just repeat what they saw. So that's what he does. He literally, he sets up a scenario, a situation to try to coax damning words out of our mouth because we are the power. Death and life are in the power of my tongue. My life goes as my tongue goes. So if he can get me to see something that's negative and to say what I saw, then I will have what I say. Well, he said right there, I'm going to see, and then, of course, I'm going to see what I said. And I'm going to say it again. And it's just going to go down and down. You know what I mean? If you say, my finances are bad, well, then they get worse. And then you say, gosh, they're worse. And so they get worse. And you say, well, they're worse than they've ever been. And they get worse than they've ever been. But if you just say in the midst of trouble, I'm rich. I've got it. I have seed to sow and bread to eat. All my needs are supplied. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I mean, and you don't have two nickels to rub together in the natural sense. You're just believing God to get, but you're saying, I got it. Are you foolish? No, you have to say what the Word says. You have to say what He said about you, even though it's not in the natural seen realm. Well, the devil's trying to get in the other realm. God's got His Word, which we read and meditate, and we look at and say, that's who I am, and therefore that's what I have, and that's what I do. But the devil wants us to see the curse so that we'll say the curse and then we'll experience the curse. Amen? So he's trying to paint a picture in front of you and I as bad as he can so that we'll see and we'll say. I like what Debbie told me one time. I don't know where she got it, but that the word fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. That's what we're all faced with every day when we open our little baby blues. We open them up and we see false evidence appearing real. Well, it's okay to see it as long as you don't say it because death and life are not in the power of the eyes. It's in the power of the tongue. Are y'all here? Jesus said, whosoever shall say shall have whatever he says. So you can think things, you can see things, you can hear things, but you can't say things until you're ready to have things. Has to be a little discretion there. Some people can't think a thing without saying it. Some people can't see a thing without saying it. You ever been around those people? Whatever they're looking at, they're talking about. Whatever they're hearing, they're repeating. Whatever they're thinking, they're talking about. Well, that's good if you're always just meditating, speaking, and looking at the Word. But if you're looking at anything else, you could get something you don't want in your path. So the devil needs a license, like a fishing license, or like a hunting license, or like a business license. He needs a license to bring something negative into your life. And the way he gets a license for that is that you and I have to issue it to him. And the only way we issue a license is with our mouth. We issue it to God saying, Lord, you can bless me now. I believe I receive and I'm sowing my seed and I'm calling that seed in. I have a license to be rich. You can't say I have a license to be rich if you don't believe the word and if you don't sow. But you say, Lord, I have a license. Well, the devil has no right to bring a curse into your life. We are covenant people. He has no right to bring anything. He doesn't even have a right then. 
He's really transgressing the covenant even then, but he can in the law on this earth. He can bring things that you and I talk about. In Job chapter 6, you're there in Psalm, just turn west and go to Job chapter 6. Praise his name. You know, Job had a battle with the devil because the devil really wanted to discredit him. And people think that God was testing Job, but God wasn't testing Job. Hallelujah. Fear was testing Job. It says in chapter 6, verse 23, there's a context here, but we'll just go straight to verse 33. Oh, deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the mighty. Here it is, verse 24. Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. You know, that's who we are. Teach me, Lord, what to say. We don't know what to say. We don't even know what's good. Sometimes you got to pray in the Holy Ghost just to even find out what to say. Teach me and I will hold my tongue and cause me to understand wherein I have erred. What we have here is that Job found out. He said, my tongue got me in trouble. My tongue is what messed me up. It was not the devil. It was my tongue. Y'all, we can shut the devil off like you can turn a faucet off at the sink. You can turn him off with your mouth. He doesn't have a way to go in your life when you shut him off with your mouth. Y'all say amen if you can. It's our mouth. Death and life. Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we can shut him off with shutting off our mouth. Giving no place to the evil one. Giving no place to the devil. So there's a time to speak life, and then there's a time to just shut up. Just not to say anything. Sometimes you just want to talk about it. You want to lament about it. You want to tell somebody what just happened to you. You know, some people want to talk about their surgeries or talk about their experience with the government or something. You want to tell somebody, you can hardly believe what happened to me. Let me tell you. But sometimes you just can't. (laughs) You got to let it go. In Luke chapter 22, now this is an interesting scripture. The Lord Jesus himself is talking to Peter. And just gets in the middle of his life, straight up, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. You know, anytime there's a double word used, verily, verily, Simon, Simon, it's a great emphatic. And so he's really into his life. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But... I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And then when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. There's a lot here about the devil and how he operates. First of all, he says that Satan hath desired you. That word desired in the Greek is the word subpoena. It has legal implications in every sense. Satan has subpoenaed you to appear before his court. He has accused you. He has things to say about you and to you, and he has come for your life. Y'all, he's come for your life. He didn't just come for your money. He came for your marriage. He came to kill your children. He came to wreck your business. He has come for it all. It may look like he's just come in one way. That just happens to be the door he knocked on. But he, once he gets in the house, he plans on taking it all. 
Because if you'll say, oh, no, here he is, and he's got me, and you go on to saying what you see, you'll begin to talk about everything that could go down, and he'll go as far as you'll let him. Everything that you say can and will be used against you. <laughs> it is legal in every way. It's a legal jurisprudence system. Everything that's done here is on a legal basis. Seed time and harvest is legal. Speaking, confessing is legal. It's legal. God is legal. He won't come down here and fix your life for the good unless you give him a legal basis, speaking and believing his word. That's why good people have bad things happen to them. Good people, bad things. Why? Because God can't intervene. Well, where was God? Where was he? He had no legal basis to come in because we were speaking. I'm jinxed. I'm damned. I'm cursed. I'm at the wrong end of it. We say these things. Nothing good happens to me. It always bad happens to me. And there's just no room for the Lord to come in and fix it. You know, this is why we come to church. Entertainment is on the cable. It's at the theater. It's at the Broadway thing. There's entertainment. Church is not where we entertain. This is where we get life. So we're just real serious about it. I'm trying to be light. I'm trying to be fluffy and trying to be lighthearted about it. To have you in a situation where you are being compromised with your life is unacceptable to me as the pastor. This is life-saving. And these are things that will save your life. We just wouldn't have three life preservers up here and have three people in the water saying, save me, save me, and saying, you know, I'm feeling thirsty. And they had really good lemonade at the cabana and turn. We have to throw this word every chance we get. You don't need it this morning necessarily. Everything's fine. All is well. It's looking good. Whew, we got it. But he's come to sift you, to subpoena you. It says sift there. Sift is the same word in the Greek that's translated grind. Not just sift. Well, sift a little flour here. We're going to make some biscuits. Grind is the word. That big grindstone that grinds wheat into flour, that is the word. Satan has subpoenaed you, and when he gets you in his legal grip, he's going to grind you out till there's nothing left. He wants to take you all the way to the end. He can't have us. Amen. We're not appearing, and we're not opening our mouth. And that's how he wants, Jesus said, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Well, our faith would mean that we would call things that be not. We would declare the word rather than what we saw. It takes some discipline. It takes some control. It takes something on the inside working toward the outside to not see trouble coming, potential trouble coming, and to just sit there and say, all is well. It's fine. We got plenty of money for this. We will not go under. That's not normal. That's not routine people. People don't like that. They don't like you to fool with them like that. They want you to be like them and to get down and say, wasn't that a bad storm? I thought it was going to wipe us out. I thought we were all going to be wiped out. You know, the other night, that storm was the thing on James Spann. It had the word Coker in there, and it had an arrow, and it had it pointing straight towards Coker. Did y'all see that? It was right towards Coker. We'd already spoke to it, and I knew you did. That happened on Thursday. I didn't even come out here till Saturday morning. And you don't get that from just being weird. You have to get it down in here and paint it and put it in and fill it up over and over. It's a lifestyle. So every time we come together, every time you sit down with your word, every time you go to prayer, every time you're with your friends, we have to talk this and evict that. 
We have to evict that trouble that could come. So we're not going to be sifted. We're not going to be at his beck and call. Proverbs chapter 30. So what we're doing in this series is we're just enforcing the validity, the gravity of this law. The levity of it is it is essential. There is no room to do anything else. If you've got a dream in your life, if you have faith in your heart and you want to go somewhere, you can't ignore this thing about confession. It is absolutely in the middle of your life. The thing is, is that it's real easy. We're going to talk anyway. We might as well talk right. I said, it's not like we got to put on something. Well, I didn't really want to go to Afghanistan. And it's like, all I got to do is just live my life and just talk right. Here he says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32, If thou hast done foolishly in lifting up thyself, or if thou hast thought evil, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. Lay thy hand upon thy mouth. One translation says, put a gag in your mouth. There's a time to speak, and then there's a time where you just can't say anything. Y'all, sometimes you just can't say anything. Sometimes when people, when you call them and say, listen, I can't come to that, someone has left you a message, hey, we're having a big party over here on Sunday morning. We want you all to come over, and we're going to have a big time. You want to call them, and you say, I can't come to that. And then they're waiting for you to say, why? To tell them why, to justify why you wouldn't come to their deal. And all you have to do is say, we can't make it. But everybody's just hanging in the air like they're waiting, and you're not telling, and they're waiting, and you're still not telling. We have to learn to go there where we don't have to justify why we do what we do and why we say what we say. We are a peculiar people, aren't we? Ephesians 4 says in verse 29, says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Edifying means to build up that it may minister grace into the hearers. You and I are supposed to be builders. We are kingdom builders. You may not go to the nations as a missionary. You may not be called to build a Bible school. You may not call to preach. But what you and I are all called to do is to build up with our mouth. We can speak, not just praying, but saying. Sometimes people think, well, all there is is praying. But sometimes there's just saying. Well, you're not really praying. You're just declaring. Amen? Just saying. Just getting up in the day and saying, this is a good day. This is a great day. It's a prosperous day. It's a day full of health and wholeness. It's a day of opportunity. The devil is defeated. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Ghost has set my course. And you just begin to say things. And then there's an expectation that's built into you that when you say those things, you begin to look for those things. And what you're looking for is what you are actually finding. People, I know people, you know those people, they're looking for trouble. They read the paper in the morning, oh my, oh my, oh, trouble. They're looking for trouble that day or to try to avoid trouble. Well, we're not those people. So we set our course. Mark chapter 5, let's look in Mark chapter 5 and look at this story about this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name. We're going to build up with our mouth. You're weak. Let me just tell you all, you're weak if you can't control your mouth. James talks about the perfect man is the man that doesn't just know a lot of scripture or that just goes to the mission field or that just gives selfishly or that feeds the poor. The perfect man is the man that can bridle his mouth. Now, you can't do it until you're born again. You cannot. There is no way. But once we're born again, the one that's in charge is the greater one down in here. 
And so we begin to connect all calls, all outgoing calls have to come from down in here. Nothing coming from the head. You know, this part up here is the part that gets us in trouble. The part that's unrenewed, the part that's still out there that thinks poverty, that thinks trouble. That's the part that if you hook up your mouth to that, it's going to foul up. It's the perpetual foot in mouth. But if we only speak out of this part down in here, it'll always be life-giving. Amen? Amen. Well, Mark chapter 5, let's look at this story here, this passage here, verse 22. Behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, the Lord Jesus, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, saying, he besought him greatly, saying. So you get into a place where you measure your words. You measure your words. You measure your words. You get to the place where you've meditated and you find out what you want. You find out what is God's will. You measure what you want. And then you begin to say, here he besought him greatly. He planned this. Jairus by name, he planned it. He said, my daughter lieth at the point of death. Well, there's nothing spiritual about that. Then he said, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her. Nothing real spiritual about that. But then he said, here's what will happen. See, what's going to be good in our lives is when we know what's going to happen with what we do. He said, come and lay your hands on her. And then he said, let's read it together, that she may be healed and she shall live. Let's say it together, that she may be healed and she shall live. Now, see, that's the key right there. Jairus said it. Jesus said, whosoever shall say shall have whatsoever he saith. Jairus said, if you'll come, lay your hands on her. I've seen you do it with others, but that doesn't mean you believe it'll happen for you because you've got to qualify yourself, don't you? Well, they're spiritual, and he loves them more, and, you know, they've been in church, and they probably give a lot, and the preacher likes them a lot. It happened for them, but it wouldn't happen for me. You've got to qualify yourself. He's no respecter of persons. What he did for them, he'll do for me. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he said, if you'll do it, if you'll come, she shall be healed, and she shall live. Well, right there, right there is all you say. So you got to come to that place in your life where you know that that is a devil magnet. When you say those words in faith, you got to expect that his job is to bring in front of you a scenario that you will see or hear, so you will say. Guess it doesn't work for me. Apparently the Lord's not ready. All sorts of trash and muck that could come out of our head that we would see and say. So sure enough, the woman with the issue of blood steps in, there was a delay there. We can handle that. But verse 35, he says, But there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. So he heard the bad report. Now just expect it, family. Just know, just write it down that when you begin to speak to the mountain and say, You're going down, mountain. You're going down. Lack and need. You're out of my life. I am wealthy. I am prosperous. This is who I am, and this is what I do. Before you can be a giver, you got to know who you are you got to know, this is what I do because this is who I am. You can't just say, well, I will to give. I just hope I can and give out of your living. you got to know that you are a paymaster, that you are wealthy, and so wealthy people can give. I'm not giving out of who I am, Michael Billings. I'm giving out of I've been made rich. He made me rich, therefore I can give. 
But now if it's out of my living, then I'm having to take money out of my baby's mouths and I'm having to take it out of my living, maybe jeopardize certain things. We're living in a tent versus a house and all this. No, I have to first go and say, who am I that would even be able to give? Well, I'm rich. You have to settle that first. Well, sure doesn't feel rich. Well, hello. Yeah, we know that. The calling things that be not takes care of that, doesn't it? Nobody feels rich before they see it or possess it. You have to go there according to the word. You got to go where this is all you know about you. I don't feel rich. Sure can't find it in my account. But he says that he's made me rich. Well, that's who I am then. Therefore, see, once you find out who you are, then you can therefore say, therefore, I have all sufficiency in all things. I abound every good work. Therefore, I give and it's given to me. Therefore, you begin to therefore based on who you are. But a lot of people are just like, well, I want to be rich. Let's go straight to that part where we get it. Well, (laughs) you got to know who you are first. And that's what we're building right now is who we are in him. Not who we're going to be, not who we're working on, who we've already been made at the new birth. Anybody in here the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus right now? Yes, we are. Well, if you're righteous right now, as righteous you ever will be, as righteous as Jesus is right now, fully vested, fully vested. Well, I got some things I'm working on in my life, and I got some things that are, you know, not too cool. And, man, if you knew what I was, you know, righteous, righteous, not based on works of unrighteousness but based on what he's done. Well, then we can say with a certainty, I am righteous. Amen. Well, in Mark chapter 5, then he goes down and and gets the bad report in verse 35. Thy daughter is dead. So right there, right there is the test. The bad report comes, and it always comes after you make a faith declaration. Why are we surprised that our faith is tested After you make a faith declaration, the devil's job is to bring the contrary report. That is his job, is to bring something contrary, something that defies what you have said in front of you. And it's not that hard because you made the faith declaration in the midst of contrary circumstances anyway. In other words, you said, I'm rich, when there wasn't anything monetary about you. So it's easy for him to bring by a big bill or a problem in the house or something that you go, well, yeah, hello. So right there, you got to keep your mouth. And so Jairus was tempted right there. What, are we going to have our daughter raised from the dead or are we going to have another dead baby in Israel? It's up to him because he's already declared it. And Jesus steps in just like he steps in with us with the word of God. And he says, don't say a word. The word of faith's already been spoken. James talks about that in James chapter 5. Talks about, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray the prayer of faith. Talk about raising him up. The prayer of faith, when it's spoken, it has to be. Say, it has to be. Once you pray the prayer of faith, it has to be. It's not negotiable after that. You ever wrote a check to a retailer? They lift up that little drawer and put it in there, or they have a little slot of the machine and it's in there. (laughs) You know, it's gone. It's gone. You put mail in the mailbox, out that big blue box, it's over. And the prayer of faith, once it's spoken, it has to be. The only way it can undo is if you were to undo it the same way it was done. You unwind it with your words. So the contrary circumstance is always going to come to conflict with, be contrary to your word of declaration, your declaration of faith. 
So here it was. Well, she died. Jesus said, I'll come. He's already said, I'll go with you. It'll happen. We're already in agreement. She's already dead. You have to just pretend I didn't hear that. I don't know anything about that. That is not who I am, and that is not what we have. And so Jesus said to him, be not afraid, only believe, in verse 36. So I looked up that word afraid, because I knew you'd want to know. And it's the word phobio. You all know about the word phobio? <laughs> Phobia. And it really means to be put to flight, but it means to be seized with alarm. It means to react for fear of harm. So really, what we do when we speak the word of faith, our head's still on us. The best thing to do is after you speak the word of faith is just cut your head off and put it in a box somewhere. Put it in there, guaranteed you're going to have the mountain move. Because the only thing that cannot make it move is if your head sticks something stupid out of your mouth and goes out there and undermines what you've said out of your heart. So Jesus says, do not phobio. Do not run, do not flee, do not take flight because you're afraid of what will happen. Do not react and hesitate. In other words, he says, we've already got it, man. Why are we thinking about this? Why are we thinking? Well, gosh, they said she's dead. They said she's dead. She was alive and you were on your way, but now they say she's dead. Why wouldn't I say something? That's in another realm. We're talking about in the faith realm, the spirit realm, the unseen realm. That's where we spoke those words, she shall live. Why would we want to speak something else out of our head? We're not going in that realm. We didn't get it out of that realm. We didn't get it in the medical realm. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I got some new drugs here, and I got some new things that we'll put on her, and I think that six to eight days and medical care and the nurse will come by. He didn't go that way, did he? He went into the realm of the covenant. We got to stay there we got to stay there. We spoke words out of that realm. we got to stay in that realm. So Jesus said, be not afraid, only believe. Verse 38, and he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. Don't you all know there's a tumult? Tumult means an uproar, a disturbance. He cometh to the house where she's died, supposedly, and he saw the tumult. Y'all, it's the same story that's in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Y'all remember the story where he said, boys, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. And what came up? <laughs> a storm came up. A tumult, a disturbance, an uproar came up to undermine what Jesus had said, we're going to the other side. Y'all, most of your faith life is going to the other side. That's what we're doing in some dimension. We're going from lack and need over to fullness and supply. We're going from weakness and sickness over to health and wholeness and restoration. We're going from broke down to unified and full. So we're going to the other side. So every time you, by the Lord's instruction, say we're going to the other side, the devil's going to bring up a tumult, a storm, a row, a disturbance. That's his job, to paint a picture that you will see and not bridling your tongue will cause you to say. Because once you say, you got to start over. You got to start over. You got to start over. Like Debbie said this morning, you got to dig that seed up and then replant it. We don't have that in our life. This is good, y'all. And it's not even hard. It's not like, oh, how can we do it? Step 17. Step, did you get step 26? That step 44 was the one that was hard for me. It's like, it's not that hard. 
Just stop and measure your life. That's who we are. Measure your life and start living out of this part down here. Of course, you've got to put something down there. You've got to put a deposit down there. But once it's down there, it's easy to dip out of. So we're in church. We're in the Word. We're in a place of like precious faith all the time. We're changing friends. Are y'all changing friends? We're changing friends. Those potty mouth Christians that can't talk about anything but trouble, we're just not going out with them as much. We're hooking up with people that we didn't necessarily run with, but gosh, they're full of faith, and it just does something for us to be around them. We're just finding, yeah, let's go out with them. Let's go get coffee with them, because I like to be with people that are in faith, that have a sense of victory about them, that can order their life, that don't want to talk about how bad it is. So you got to live above the tumult. And it says in verse 38, and see at the tumult. And them that wept and wailed greatly. Don't you know that was a sight? And he told them, well, she's not dead, but she's asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. Now, here's the key. Here's your faith. Here's the part where the river meets the road. Is that when you get around people that you love and you're in faith, but they don't necessarily understand that you're in faith, you're really tempted to compromise your faith or to explain your faith. You know, when you say, we're rich, (laughs) and they look around and say, you're my friend. Can I help you? Is there a doctor that you need? Is there a drug that you're believing for? I've got someone that that consults and counsels, and they're real good. They help some other crazy people. You'll get around those where they're wanting you to explain it. And so what you're tempted to do is to say, well, We don't really have a new house. We don't really have the victory here, but we're saying that because of our, because, and you begin to explain it, and you're sunk. If you have to explain it, and you have to lower yourself to say, we're not really, but this is what we're saying, it's over. And everybody's got enough friends that you cannot hardly go bring it to pass without having a run-in with one of these people. Sorry, y'all, this is the hardest part about this whole gospel is that there's persecution. When you're in faith, you just got to get the victory. And then they'll want to know, what is it that you've got? Because I want it too. I thought you were so weird. I told everybody you were weird. But now I want to be weird like you. In a sense, not really weird like you, but I'm willing to be a little weird. But eventually they won't be full weird just like you. Full weird. Totally weird. Sold out weird. Hallelujah. Really, all that means is is you just stay with it because it's in here. I am healed. I am righteous. I do have the victory. And I'm not compromising it so that you'll understand on your level and on your terms. So you just got to say it. You got to stay with it. So in the faith walk, the devil's going to send people to change your mind. You've already met them. There's more. And so you got to not agree with them and undo your faith. Well, some people can't handle it. And so there's a longing in your soul to not give them up. To walk in faith giving them up, I just can't do it. We're just not going to walk in faith if I have to give them up. And so you'll have to go through some things. You probably already have. But eventually they'll either change, your friends will change, or you'll find out they weren't that good of friends. You'll find out what they really were, that if they don't really want you to have the victory and have their friendship too, they'll make you choose. You know the scenario that eventually you'll just say, you know, it's been real, but we got to move on. This baby was terminal. My business is on the rocks. we got to have victory here with these children. You're not worth it if you make me choose. i got to go on. 
And so you begin to open your mouth and say, Lord, this is real, and I'm going to live that way. So there's a time to speak, and there's a time to shut up. There's a time where you just can't explain it. Read Mark chapter 5. That's who I am. That's where I'm at. And you can't explain it. Let's say some things. Let me read this to you in Psalm 138. In verse 2 it says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the kingdom, the word is everything. As important and as powerful as the word of Jehovah is, the word of God is, his name, you know that name can do anything. He says even his word is greater than that. More powerful and more able. So if we're going to give weight to the word, God's going to give weight to us.